Uh, I, I can't convey how passionate I am about uh, this morning's message. We're, we're in a series about God can. And what I want to do this morning is share with you that God can deliver us from lies. And this message was kind of birthed uh, from being a dad of teenagers. And I am not going to share any stories of my kids today. I'm not going to embarrass anybody. And they're thinking, thank you, Jesus. Um, But as a parent, it is so hard. And if you have kids or grandkids, you know this is true. It is agonizing to see kids sorting out who they are in Christ versus what the world is telling them, all those other voices. It is so frustrating and heart-wrenching. You pour yourself, heart, soul, mind, time, and then the world tells them all these lies and you think that's not true about you. Like, don't, don't listen to that. And maybe, maybe this is also hard because seeing them work through that reminds us that there are days when we wrestle with some of those voices and those lies that kind of assault us all at times. So I'm praying this message helps you navigate some of those voices personally and also if you are an influencer in the life of a young person. Uh, We're going to go all the way back this morning to Genesis, to the very beginning, uh, Genesis 2.25 through 3.17. Adam and his wife were both naked and felt no shame. Uh, If you haven't been in church for a while, I might have got your attention, like right there. (laughs) Uh, There it is in the Bible. Uh, Verse 3, now that the serpent, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, now say that with me this morning, God did say, ready? God did say, God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. Everybody say that, the serpent said, ready? The serpent said. So here comes like the first lie in all of creation. You will not certainly die. Satan lies. It's what he does. Like all the time, nonstop. He's a liar. And then Satan questions God's motive for the boundary he set. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. 
Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. That's the time when they normally spent time together. They walked with each other every single evening. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked. No, you're not. You just wore clothes. The lie has spread. You you just sewed clothes together because you saw you were naked. But now God comes and immediately the first thing you do after eating the fruit is lie to God. Because I was naked, so I hid. One of the universal consequences of sin is isolation. Shame produces the hiding response in us all. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate. So the blame game starts like right here. Adam says, it's that woman's fault. And maybe, maybe it's your fault, God, because you put that woman here with me in the first place. You see, Adam thought she was a good idea when she was formed out of his rib. He didn't mind the fact when she was created that she was naked. That wasn't a problem then. But now that he's in trouble, oh, it's God's fault now. Sin. Sin causes us to question God's judgment. Adam is questioning whether God did the right thing by creating Eve or not. He's questioning whether God was right when God said it's not good for man to be alone. All of a sudden, Adam's thinking, you know what? Maybe it would have been better off if I wasn't with her. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. This is kind of like asking one of your kids who left the mess on the floor. All of them say, I don't know. Not me. I was always amazed that when our kids were little, how many things a stranger snuck into my house and did. Because when I asked who did it, nobody did it. Who ate that fruit? Well, it was her fault. Who ate that fruit? Uh, The serpent. It was him. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. 
Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. You see, in the realm of God, you can point the finger any which way you want, but God already knows who done it. God already knows where you're hiding. God points out that he knows and he dispenses discipline. But I want to go all the way back to Genesis 2.25 because I think that last verse before we get to the account of the fall is incredibly significant. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. But ponder that for a minute. Adam and Eve were naked and they felt no shame. I had a, a seminary professor, he taught Old Testament in, in seminary, that used to say that the reason they felt no shame is because before the fall, Adam and Eve never looked at themselves to see any inadequacy. They simply looked at the other person and agreed that what God had made was good. Adam saw Eve and said, yeah, that's good. Eve saw Adam and said, yeah, that's good. But after the fall, after the fruit, they looked at themselves and they thought, I'm naked. Before the fall, Adam and Eve were naked and they felt no shame. I would go one step further and say that before the fall, Adam and Eve knew no shame, period. What a blessing to be made in the image of God in that way, to not know shame. We, we don't get back in tune with that feeling until we know the forgiveness and grace of Jesus. And even then, it's a battle for us to stay in tune with who we are in Christ. But, but God could have lifted anything up to, to highlight what it was like to be without sin. Uh, no pain, no fear, no wrestling, but he lifted out the fact that in the image of God, without sin, we don't feel shame. The enemy's goal in tempting us to sin is to heap the burden of shame upon God's people once again because it squelches the gospel and it causes us to go into isolation where we do not spread the good news of the gospel. When we are ashamed, we want to hide. So, so many of the barriers we face in living a life for God's glory is the result of our shame living apart from him. We say things like, you know, I'm just not worthy. <laughs> Who am I after everything I've done? God is probably so disappointed with me. If you knew my past, you'd probably agree. They are all lies. And it starts with the sin Answering the question, Satan asked all the way back in Genesis. And I don't think the enemy's tactics have changed at all. And the earlier he can get people wrapped up in sin, wrapped up in lies, wrapped up in shame, the more damage he can do to the work of God. And here's the question Satan asked all the way back, and it always sets the trap. If you're taking notes, write this down. Did God really say... Did, did, did God really say that? In, in other words, is that what the Bible really says? 
Is that what God meant when he said? Because maybe there's an exception. Maybe if we look at the historical context and go back all the way to the Greek and Hebrew, maybe, you know, it meant something different than it means now. Every single generation has to answer this question. Each and every one of us has to answer this question. Did God really say? In theological circles, you will hear people ask, is the word of God really inerrant? (laughs) In other words, is there wiggle room someplace? I mean, did God say Jesus is really the only way? I mean, there's, there's so many other options out there. Is God's truth really hold for all time? I mean, how could God all the way back then speak into life today? I mean, there wasn't Google, there wasn't the internet. Did God really say is the foundational question that each of us needs to answer in our own spirit. And I would say that the wrong answer to that question implodes so many lives. It causes so much havoc in our world. Lives unravel if we don't answer that question well. It's an epidemic in our society, politically, morally, socially, environmentally, economically. We see the destruction everywhere because people don't know what God really said. It crushes my spirit when people's lives blow up because they don't know what God said. Living outside of what God said causes so much shame and pain. People spend their entire lives chasing the wrong things because they don't know what God said. They don't treat others with respect. They don't treat others with love. I believe teens today are plagued with not feeling like they measure up, feeling like somehow they're not good enough. And everything in our culture echoes that message in their ears. Got to have a flat belly. Got to have my makeup just right. Got to be smart enough, pretty enough. And Lord knows, the world says, you don't have enough talent, you probably won't get anywhere. Everyone is pushing everybody else down, trying to make themselves feel better. And it doesn't work. If you don't know what God said about who you are, you will constantly Try to get your significance, value, your self-esteem from other people that were never created to satisfy you. The result is that you will be full of shame. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to live free of those voices and that feeling? Honestly, there are days that I have to work at not going down that rabbit hole Myself. Times I have to remind myself what God said because I'm not feeling it. There are days that I want to play the blame game uh, like Adam did and say, that woman, God, that that you you let me marry, you know, it's her fault. It's not mine. Guys, you, you know it's true. I'm just saying it out loud. What would it be like not to wrestle with those things? To be tempted to let that shame be a destructive force in our lives. I think in our world today, it is an epidemic in teens' lives and young adults. And they are acting out of not feeling good enough 
in all sort of unhealthy and self-medicating ways. And it, and it really is abuse. And, and I'll define abuse as using something for a purpose it was not intended, like Tide Pods. I mean, come on, really? Yeah. And the list is endless. We have a generation of kids who are wondering, what's wrong with me? The answer is nothing except the fall and the sin and brokenness in your own life. And the answer is the same. And nobody wants to hear it. His name is Jesus. Yeah, God really said that. We were created for a relationship with him. And Jesus is the only one that can reconnect us to the grace of God and do away with the damage of the fall. We were created in the image of God and the fall robbed us of it. But God has a plan. He is a miracle working God and can free us from those lies. He is the answer. You know what we've told this generation instead of Jesus? We have told this generation that God doesn't have a plan. We have told this generation that the world itself was literally an accident. Just bang. Here it is. We're just a billion years after the bang. We've told this generation that they are nothing more than an ape with a shave in a couple million years. Really? Why are we surprised when this generation is acting like they have no purpose, there is no plan, and they can't go anywhere? Because that's what we've told them. I've got great news. You didn't come from nothing. <laughs> and God has a plan for your life, and he plans to deliver you from this load of lies. You were created in the image of God. He knew you before you took one breath of air from this world. He has a purpose and a destiny for your life. Let me share with you what God said in Genesis 1. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image. That's what God did. In our likeness. So that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and the wild animals and over the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. That's who you are. Created in the image of God. But people are so confused these days, they don't even know how many genders there are. What did God say? Well, there's two, male and female. That's how God created us. You have a purpose and a destiny. So when, not if, when, the enemy comes knocking on your door and knocking on your soul and says, did God really say? It's important that you know what God really said about who you are as a child of the king. The enemy always wants to make God out to be a sourpuss. Remember what he told Eve in Genesis 3, 5? For God knows that when you eat from it, the fruit, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. In other words, that's why he doesn't want you to have this special fruit. He's trying to spoil your fun. He's trying to ruin everything good that you might know 
You can do what God told you not to do. You have your reasons why you can eat that, and nobody else can tell you any different. You're not going to die. Do what you want. Do whatever you want. Marry whoever you want. Treat other people however you want. Gossip is fun. Cheat on your taxes. The government's all corrupt anyway. It's all good. What it really is, is an attack on the character of God and his image in you. The word says he is good, that he does good and he wants good for you. God is not trying to ruin your fun or limit us by the rules or the guidelines in this book. But the question is, will we trust him? When we don't understand, when God says to do something or not to do something, I think that's where the rubber meets the road, right? Will you trust him to obey him? Eve didn't. Adam didn't. And in time, they died, just as God said. They were never intended to, but they did. Satan's goal is the same today. But Jesus came with a different agenda. John 10.10 says, the thief, the enemy, the devil, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. That sounds much better than death to me. Uh, Notice with me that Eve knew exactly what God said. She said it just like you said it. God said, and then she explained, we can't eat that fruit from the middle of a garden. But if you're not going to obey it, it doesn't matter how much you know it. Because James says, faith without works is dead. God is not trying to restrict you. God is trying to launch you into your destiny with purpose. He wants you to experience life in its full. He's trying to free you from the lies and the shame of the enemy. Satan told Eve if she ate the fruit, she would be like God. You know what Eve forgot? She was already in the image of God. She was already like God. That's how she was created. It was a lie and she missed it because she got caught up believing a lie that God didn't have her best in mind. Let me quickly give you some pointers that I think will help you obey God and be free of the enemy lies. These are gonna be pretty quick. Number one, Don't have a lengthy conversation with the enemy. Uh, I think Eve should have just gotten out of there. Uh, We should flee temptation. I I don't care whether you need to memorize some scripture that pertains to your area of vulnerability. Call a friend. Tell them that you're being tempted. Pray for strength. But don't hang around and listen to the lies of the enemy. Don't listen to the justifications or the rationalizations of why what God said doesn't apply to you. Number two, when you do something wrong, run to God, not away from God. Don't go sowing some fig leaves together and hide in the bush. Like, run to God. When, when the sin in us starts to reap its consequences, you know it's been, it's been too long. Run, run to God as soon as you sin. Don't let those consequences start to roll. Go to him right away. When God says, where are you? I know the most natural thing is to hide. 
It would have been so much better if Adam and Eve would have gone looking for God instead of hiding. Like the father who had the prodigal son that went off, God is always willing to reach out and love us and forgive us. The heavens, we are told, rejoice when a sinner repents. God is not out to get you. You are a follower of Jesus and you have been set free from the guilt and shame of sin. Walk in that freedom. Run to him, not from him. And third, when anyone lies to you about who you are, tell them who your heavenly father says you are. The question that God asked Adam and Eve is really profound. Who told you you were naked? In other words, who have you been listening to? I think God still asks that of us. Who said you were fat? Who said you're not good enough? Who says you're not precious? Who says you're not smart enough? God says, I didn't tell you those things. I told you you're mine. I told you I created you. I told you you were good. I did not make a mistake. I wasn't wrong. You are my son, my daughter, and I love you. He sent his son while we were dead in our sin to redeem us. Don't let anyone tell you that you are not precious in his sight. I think these are still important questions today. Did God really say, where are you? And who told you? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this church, and I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you for your promises. Father, that there are so many voices that compete for our attention. It just is overwhelming. But God, help us to tune in to your voice. Those voices, God, that remind us of our failures and of our flaws are not worth listening to. We thank you that you call us to life, to life without Shame being forgiven, washed clean, as white as snow by the blood of Jesus. And God, your word is full of such hope. And I thank you that we are sons and daughters of God Almighty. Where the enemy has declared shame on us, God, on on any person under the sound of my voice this morning, I have come with your authority, the authority of God Almighty, to declare that in the name of Jesus Christ you are forgiven, that shame has no place in your life, in your mindset anymore. You've had a hard time embracing this truth this morning. It may be because you've never started a relationship with Jesus and asked him to forgive your past so that you can live the rest of your life life free as a child of the king. And if you find yourself there this morning or even if you find yourself needing to come back to Jesus and come back to his grace and back to his forgiveness, I invite you to pray the prayer that is on the screen either in your heart or out loud with me this morning. Jesus, I only know myself by the lies I've been told. That I can't be free, that I'm guilty, a sinner, that I'm not good enough. 
Today, I wanna be known as a child of the King from the only voice that matters. Heavenly Father, today, I give my past to you and I'm gonna walk out of this place forgiven, free, without an ounce of shame. Jesus, thank you for giving your life for me. Now I give my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen.